Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Cracking One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' When Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the NOMCAST, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week, we review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course, our fellow podcasters. Check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. Follow us on the socials at nomcastpod. And most importantly, listen and subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. Hit that beat one time. Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Pat Whalen. Pat is a lifelong comic book geek. And Mike is a filmmaker and storyteller. So naturally, a bulk of our conversations surround the world of the Marvel movies. Some consider the MCU one of the greatest achievements in modern day filmmaking, and others just think they're comic book movies. Each episode, we'll tackle one film and discuss the differences between the comic book and what's on screen. We'll explore the growth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its inception to present day and beyond, and have a little fun along the way. You may not have asked for it, you certainly don't need it, but you'll be happy we're here, we think. This is yet another MCU podcast. Welcome back. So here we go, Pat. Episode two of phase two, the one we've been looking forward to for so many weeks. We are recording live from the coronavirus pandemic, taking time out of surviving <laughs> so we could bring you this important episode about the greatest movie in the MCU canon, premiering November th- 2013. November for the Dark World. Ah, uh, yes. The A lot of qualifiers. <laughs> I think when we first started this whole podcast endeavor, I, I remember saying to you, I'm, I'm not looking forward to revisiting the Thors because they're probably the least favorite of mine, uh, you know, throughout these, all these movies. So um, I, I, I know that I know I was texting <laughs> you when I was watching this movie going, what has happened? There's nothing going on. This movie is less than two hours long <laughs> with 13 minutes for a post-credit scene, two post-credit scenes. And somehow it feels like three and a half hours and it, nothing happens. This is true. So let's, let's get into it. We'll get into, as we always do here, we talk about the movie a little bit. Uh, then we're going to do some, the differences between the comic and the movie, uh, which is usually like, a, like I said, me peppering Pat with some questions. And then we will go into this movie in its, its role in the MCU. So like I sort of thought of the dark world of Wraith 2013 runtime 112 minutes as Pat alluded to PG 13 had a production budget of $170 million. It's opening weekend. It did 85 million domestic 206 worldwide 644. Now real quickly, you just come off of Iron Man three, which did what 1.2 billion worldwide. Yes. This has got to be a hit. They've got, I mean, they've not and a hit. I mean like a gut punch to them. Do you think they expected this low of a take? I mean, maybe not this low, but I think they did expect lower than the stratosphere that the Iron Man movies hit because that was four movies and, and it was coming off the high of Avengers. Plus with Iron Man three, you kind of had that turn 
uh, with the Mandarin twist that a lot of people weren't a huge fan of. So I think that lost a little bit and you only really had kind of a movie and a half to get to know Thor mm-hmm. in, in that world. Whereas Iron Man, you, like I said, you had the four, three movies beforehand to build up the, um, the excitement for it. So maybe the, I think they expected a lower take than, than Iron Man three, maybe not this low, but mm-hmm. I hear you. Well, we'll get into that. <laughs> let's get into, let's get into the people behind the camera. This was directed by Alan Taylor. He did some uh, Game of Thrones uh, episodes. Screenplay by Christopher Yost and Christopher Marcus and then Stephen McFeely, I believe. I think they all three worked on the screenplay. I think Yost went on to write Ragnarok and Marcus did Captain America and he did the two um, the two Avengers movies, Infinity War yes. and Endgame. I think he did those with McFeely. I think they were them together. I believe so. This story was from Don Payne and Robert Rodat or Roday. Um, Payne did My Super Ex-Girlfriend. Rodat did Saving Private Ryan. I don't know why I have that in there. Uh, music by Brian <laughs> this Tyler. Is a good movie. How does a guy <laughs> who writes Saving Private Ryan come and do this? Uh, well, he did the story, so he probably came up with the idea. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So music with Brian Tyler, who's returned from Iron Man 3, but he goes on to do a bunch of other Marvel movies. And you know, the cinematography by Kramer. Oh, I'm going to screw this name up. Morgenthau. But he has no... This is his one and only Marvel, hmm. I guess, venture. He did a lot of Game of Thrones. So I assume that Taylor brought him over probably. from Game of Thrones. Yeah. So you have Chris Hemsworth returning. You have all the everybody returning. Uh, Natalie Portman, Hiddleston, Hopkins. You have Christopher Eccleston as the, uh, I guess, the bad guy in this. The the elf, I yes. guess. The dark elf. Um, then you have his friends returning, with the exception of Fandral, is played now by Zachary Levi. It's always good to see Zachary Levi back. And yeah. he's he brings Flynn Rider to this. Well, yeah. I mean, he's really he's uh, he's really good as Shazam. So he is. He's that's actually a pretty good movie. Really charismatic too. That, yeah. I think he this helps. Oh no, he's also good in. I don't know if you you don't watch the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He was in the second season. No, but I love Chuck. Yeah, Chuck is uh, all time favorite. I do not love Chuck. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, but he's good. I like him. And, and things start off with a bang. <laughs> so, but like I said, Ray Stevenson's returned. Idris Elba, Rene Russo is back briefly. Stella Skarsgård apparently is going crazy in this movie. Uh, Kat Dennings, and then you have Alice Krieg, who's in here, who's the Borg Queen from the first Contact movie, Star Trek, and she's like in it, like like two 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 scenes. She's the one of the she is one of the um she's the doctor when she, when Natalie Portman's laying on the table and she's like, is that a quantum? And she's like, no, it's we can image and that. Oh right, yeah, that's her. She's only in for like two scenes, which is odd that she's in that. Anybody, any way to get in a Marvel movie? So for some reason, we'll add, we'll do a phase two most wasted talent like we did with uh maybe yeah natalie dormer and kate mara <laughs> alice krieg <laughs> all right so why don't you break down what you what this movie's about which you could say nothing but what, what are they trying to do in this movie okay long story short the dark elf race from one of the nine realms rises again and looks to take its vengeance against asgard and thor odin um in the meanwhile they're also dealing with the aether the aether um which is Essentially, it's one of the Infinity Stones, but it's the Reality Stones. Which so I had some confusion too. We'll get to yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, this movie, I wrote the, this note here. It serves three purposes. It introduces the Infinity Stones really in a grander scale. It helps establish this broader kind of space epic that we'll see in Guardians of the Galaxy. And um, it gets Thor back to Earth. And that's that's really that's it. That's it. Like I don't know what to say. That that's kind of that's all we got here. 
Uh, This movie has some behind the scenes, I guess, quote unquote drama. You had this was originally going to be directed by Patty Jenkins. And but I guess creative differences, she backed out, which is kind of a theme. The MCU has become such a corporate monster. It's a television show. Right. Kevin Feige is the showrunner. The directors come in and out on a a weekly or episodic basis. Uh, And if you don't agree, you don't get a job. And she, I guess she didn't agree. So she, she moved on and that ticked off Portman and she tried to back out of the movie, she but, did. She, but her contract wouldn't let her. So she yeah. kind of stayed in it, but that's, this is probably why you don't see her in the third one. This is probably why they had to probably pay her a lot of money to come back for the fourth one. Yep. Uh, which and is, we'll, well, I'm kind of wait and see if she actually does come back for the fourth one. Well, I have that stupid thing where they like presented her with the hammer. The hammer yeah, she is going to. Which made me gag. <laughs> um, you, you also had, you also had, because no, I told you that Brian Tyler came in, but he wasn't initially doing the score. It was Carter Burwell who was writing the score and he left after creative differences and they brought Tyler <laughs> in. So again, it's. And Tyler had the experience yeah. with Iron Man 3. So they're, they're going back to the well of people they know. Well, we want to work with, we want to work the great with the best people. But you need to follow this right. blueprint. And you can't do that, see ya. Which we'll see, and, and we'll discuss this again with Black Panther. They wanted Ava DuVarney for a long time. She had the creative differences. Then they brought in Ryan Coogler, who is an astounding director, but he was able to play within the sandbox. Correct. Now, I'm not sitting here in judgment of whether what how they're doing what they're doing, but it is a fact that you're trying to put together a whole, like you said, an entire quote-unquote TV show. Yeah in the big screen you you need to you want to have some kind of symbiotic relationship between all the movies Mm -hmm. and uh sometimes some people can't can't do that yeah and you know hindsight when you're you're looking at this in the moment you know patty jenkins was mostly a a tv director she'd done a couple episodes of entourage and a few other like little things the killing here and there obviously monster in 2003 but that was her main like major film credit before this Mm -hmm. You're thinking, you know, this is your springboard to the future. It's going to make a boatload of money no matter how bad it is. So, you know, kudos to her for sticking by morals and, and creative planning. But I, I understand the the pull for a lot of younger or not quite seasoned film directors to come in and, and do this. You have full support of the Marvel marketing machine. And, you know, obviously, hindsight, it worked out better for her. She got Wonder Woman... And Wonder Woman did a boatload of money. People love it. But you don't know that in the moment. So so good for her for for doing that. But obviously, you know, it's a tough call. That's like almost a theme with when Marvel discards somebody. Yeah. Um, or Marvel slash Disney. They get picked up by DC. Like mm-hmm. same thing with James Gunn. Yeah. yeah. But he's coming back apparently. Well, of course, but he's still doing Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, whatever the second one. So let's, I guess, just talk about the movie in and of itself briefly. Very briefly, because uh, I don't know if you've caught on, but I'm not a really big fan of this movie uh, in terms of what's happening on screen. Um, right off the bat, when they catch the ether in the beginning and, and they have bury it deep somewhere, no one will ever find it. Well, they always find it. <laughs> they always find it. No matter how deep you bury anything, it always gets found. And then they <laughs> this is and then. She, it just how happens. deep is the London uh, underground that this warehouse is, that, okay. is on? Uh, well, that's my th- here's the thing that's supposed to is that on another planet? I think it might be in another okay. realm, but it it's was just on- very convenient that Jane Foster is the one that that just finds it. Yeah, very convenient. And I get it, it's a movie, but it's just, 
it's still extremely convenient that she stumbles upon it. Yep. And right, so right off the bat, you're just like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I and and as another thing too, because now you start off with you have where Thor fights that rock monster. They're fighting. The yeah, they have the big fight, yeah. and they have this kind he's bringing, of. He's bringing peace to the realms by fighting. <laughs> Let's figure that out. And uh, they go back and they're drinking and they're having fun and they've started to try to create this love triangle now with, with Lady Sif. Yeah, for some reason. And I still always ask this question. You have all this technology. You have all this power at Asgard. Why do you consistently try to live like you're in the Middle Ages? You have massive you have quantum accelerators and all this stuff, but you just, you're determined to live without electricity. I don't get it. Have you ever been to a Renaissance fair? <laughs> So this is just a one big Ren fair? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think it's on. I think that's all it is. Like it's a, it's a Ren fair with technology when you need it. <laughs> <laughs> it just baffles me. It's like you guys can be living better, better than this. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to tell I you. I want you to answer that question. <laughs> this I, is a terrible a- movie. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, they're just piecing things together here and there so they can get to the next movie just to get to the mid credit scene. Yeah. That's all they're looking to do. They're getting Thor back on Earth and they're getting that collector scene where it's like, oh, I got a couple of these infinity gems. Let's keep oh, rolling way, this. One down's five to go. That's yeah. what he says, right? Yeah. Which is, that doesn't make sense. I thought there's only five. There's six. Is there six? Six. Is there six? On the gauntlet? Yes. There's one in the middle? Yes. Okay. I have them here. That's all right. You keep Don't looking. Worry. While you keep looking that up, I will talk about the nine realms line up. The yes. convergence, they call it. Mm-hmm. Why is the focal point on Earth? In fact, it's so convenient that it's on Earth, but they go even a step further. It's so convenient that it's in London, that it's it's near them where they are. It should be called Thor. The convenient Co- dark world. <laughs> <laughs> Coincidences are a thing that happen. Apparently, if I remember correctly. Some of the rumors floating around Endgame, Infinity War, it was all around the idea of why the Infinity Stones are attracted to Earth. I think we were supposed to get some of those answers. We never got those answers. Okay. But I think this was like maybe setting up some of those stages for like, hey, there's, you know, there's more about Earth than meets the eye. Um, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) More than meets the eye. But uh, we never got them. This was just, again, it, all it did was it got Thor. this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Um, okay. I got something else for you. Yeah. So when Jane Foster, which I mean, can you just call her Jane at some point, Thor? But anyways, Jane, when Jane Foster. It, it's Thor. He's got a one, yeah. one word name, but she's Jane Are Foster. Are you okay, Jane Foster? Um, <laughs> she sees Thor. She slaps him twice. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Okay, fine. Then she sees Loki and she punches him. Yep. And she's like, that's for New York. You, you really cared about New York that much that you needed to deliver a punch? Right. Because apparently you, one, you'd never lived in New York. Yeah. Exactly. Two, you were off in like Sweden or Switzerland studying even, yeah, or something. Exactly. You weren't there. You, were, you weren't upset about what happened in New York when you saw Thor. You were upset that Thor didn't come visit you when he was in New York. I, if she said that's for Selvig. I, I guess. I think that would have made it better. Yeah. But she punches him for just New York. a city she's never been to. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. But that... Uh, that's that to me, that's, I guess, not really thinking about what you're writing down here, what you're yeah. doing, or maybe that was on the fly or something. Cause clearly Loki is crammed in here and that's not, that's not news. No, but 
the chemistry between Hemsworth and Hiddleston is great. No, the the brother relationship the, is it's fantastic. Really good. Yeah, I like it. But here's something else. Yeah. Why doesn't Thor tell Loki that his mother's dead? He never tells him. He comes down after. I don't know. Uh, yeah, exactly. See, that's what I'm saying. It's inconsistent. And Renee Russo, to her credit, has a really cool scene where she fights where you see yeah. that she's a warrior. Because that was the one thing I was the one thing I was questioning was that Sif, or you said Lady Sif. Yeah. That's, that's her, they're trying to set up a relationship between her and mm-hmm. Thor. Like, you know, there's some kind of attraction. So two things that are running through my hot mind is, is that the only woman he knows on Asgard? Is that he knows only, his mother and he knows Sif. Apparently. So that's that. And two, she's a warrior. So I was like, why would a warrior be okay with, you know, becoming a queen with Thor and be subservient to what mm-hmm. he wants? You know, I, I, I didn't understand that. But then when you see Renee Russo fighting, you're like, yeah. okay, I, I get that she was a warrior. And that was great. And then she's gone. And you never right. see her again. They, they build her up early because I don't care about the death. About her death? About her death. Yeah. Like, cause it, and they, they force the emotion on you. She has, aside from the opening exposition voiceover, mm-hmm. she has the opening line. And then they do the scene between her and Loki. And then the her, scene with her and Jane. And so they build it up. You know she's going to die. You, know, you, you could tell she's going to die and I just don't care because we didn't get anything of her in the first movie. And this is one thing where, you know, I, I really started to kind of get sick of in these movies is the stakes aren't there. Mm-hmm. There's no, okay, Rene Russo gets killed off or whatever. Like, who cares? Yeah. Like this isn't like, even when they, you know, they, they kill Loki, they kill Loki. I say in air quotes at the end of this, or you assume he's dead Yeah, and he comes back to life. Well, they don't really hide within, it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they don't, you kind of, you know, right away, but you know, there's no real stakes in this one at all. Okay. And I, I feel like you don't get some of those stakes until infinity war. You know, there's no real, I don't care. You know, there's, you know, and we'll see where other characters die in, in future movies, but they're not, you have no emotional attachment to them. And that was my problem with this. Well, plus we know Asgard's not real, so we can't really kind of relate to the people of Asgard as guardians as they are. Um, they built that bridge awfully fast. They did. <laughs> they did. One thing, because you brought up the the Natalie Portman scene where, where we got to see that. I did like the moment where she has the reaction to um, she like meets the parents scene where it's like, oh, you told my you told your dad about me where right. she gets super excited. Like, I thought that was a good like she still kind of has a crush on him. Right. She's excited about that. I thought that was fun acting, but that's it. He gets more. I guess relaxed with his character beyond this Mm -hmm. in terms of Hemsworth portrayal of Thor. He's very, obviously he's somebody who's in the first movie, very arrogant and he has to, you know, kind of be humbled. Yeah. You know, falls in love after making eggs as we talked about last episode. (laughs) And then in this one, it's, I think a lot of the stuff is happening to him. It's not, he, there's no real, character motivation for a lot of stuff in terms mm-hmm. of like what he's doing. He's just kind of like, this is happening. I go here, I go here, I go here, I go here. As you move forward into the, into the Avengers movies and into the, the other Thor movie, it gets a little bit, he has more of a personality. Yes. So, and you get that sense. You kind of saw that in the first of in Avengers with Hulk and all that stuff, yep. it, but then it seems like he has fun in Avengers and then he comes to Thor, the dark world. And it's just like, me. well, it's also the characters that are around him. True. Like the supporting cast in this one does not, he, does not work for that type of humor. You know, I think he works pretty well. I hate to say this, but with Darcy, 
because Kat Dennings is, you know, she she brings out some good humor. Why she gets her own little subplot and an intern in this? Yeah, I think they were just she trying to fill her time. Driver's license. She got her driver's license in Britain already, but she can't drive. Yeah, I, but him and when they interact together, it's pretty good. You know, he has some good moments with her when he's on Earth. You know, he hangs up the the hammer. Mm-hmm. We don't have to talk about the like. If, why isn't it? Is is the doorknob or, or the hanger worthy? Yeah. We don't have to get into that, but uh, true. it's a funny little like these well, that, little like character moments. Well, that was an ad lib I read that that was something that he just did that yeah, he was and, and they, they kept just it. did it and they kept it in there. It's just like mm. we could worry about the science later. <laughs> <laughs> this coat hanger is worthy. Speaking of that, you also had they they throw in the uh, Captain America bit. Yep, which is which is funny. I read that Whedon wrote that wrote okay, that scene that makes sense. and he wrote the the scene with the rock monster in the beginning. Yeah. So he came in and did some touch-ups. I thought that was, which he's, I mean, he's coming back for Ultron anyway. Right. Right. A fixture of, of the Marvel team at that point. Right. Makes sense. They probably just sent him some pages. Like we can't get this to work. Do something with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause not, not a lot of it works and, and those few moments do. Okay. Let me ask you this. I'm going to give you a challenge using the same elements. Cause I I know we don't like to like say how I would have done it. Because that's, you know, this isn't your story. You don't want to, you know, the writers are putting their their work out there. But using the same elements out there, what would you maybe move around or fix or emphasize or de-emphasize to make it work a little bit better? If there is anything. In the whole movie? In the whole movie. I think you got to make the bad guys, you need to understand them more, like Mm -hmm. what they're doing, like why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, Not just just basically, oh, these are the bad guys. So we need to fight them. That's what you need to know. Yeah. So I think right there, I don't, you know, I know you want to have Loki in there, but no Loki. He okay. shouldn't be in this. I really don't think you need the Earth stuff. I mean, you can, there's no reason for it. Just if you're going to go, I mean, they kind of do that. They see that. With, I know that moving forward, they see that with Guardians in terms of when Guardians came out and it was all that, you know, 70s and 80s music. And yeah. It was like that hip kind of like, you know, it was just the jive. Right. And then they tried, they did that with Thor Ragnarok. It's like, maybe you should have done that earlier with Thor Dark yeah. World and, and given the character a little bit more fun stuff to do or mm-hmm. whatever. But like, I think the biggest thing is, is the, if they worked on the villains more, if they made the dark elves more menacing and more just a, a, a better villain, or, or not even just understanding them, but just meant just were you concerned about what yeah. they do? That would have helped shape the rest of the story. But they're just the bad guy by default. Oh, these are the bad guys. So, and they seem to have the same motivation that the Frost Giants had mm-hmm. in Thor One, where it was like, "Oh, Odin came and beat us, so now we're mad at him." Yeah, cool. <laughs> That's it. They just they they found a reason for the Dark Elves to be the bad guys, and then that was it. And now now you need now you know. So now you know that Thor needs to stop them, and we'll go from there. Yeah, you know, like that kind of thing. It's, a lot of this movie is convenient. A lot of it's boring because you just don't know what there's. I mean, what action set pieces you have the opening when it's just fighting that one rock dude in a field. Like, yeah. And then you have the fight at the end. Yeah. And then I guess the assault on, on Asgard. It's not a lot not no. going on. Well, there's not a lot in the movie. Right. And it's just like, like we said, it's two hours and it, it feels longer, but it's a short two hours. Right. Because it's, it's really, it's, I mean, this is, you cut out another scene or two and this is a TV movie. True. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So then maybe we should segue into some of the differences. Yeah. 
Where do you want to start with this? Because I, uh, I mean, I know I sent you a bunch of stuff. You did. We'll start at the beginning. Okay. We'll start with the rock monster that we've we've brought up a couple of times. Oh, Cronin. The Cronin. Yeah. yeah. So, real quick, <laughs> when you Google Cronin, nice. It's um, it's a there's also a 17th century warship that sunk in the Baltics. Ooh, nice. Yeah, interesting Good fact there. That room, uh, is that like national treasure? When they're in the hopefully okay. <laughs> Uh, we can never have too much national treasure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think a third one's coming. Thank God. We need one. <laughs> so the Cronin, or what the, they were known as on the cover of Thor's first appearance in Journey into Mystery, were the stone men from Saturn. Technically, not from Saturn. Uh, <laughs> they're from the planet okay. Rhea in the Cronus system, hence the name Cronin. Like I said, they fought Thor in, in the first appearance. But we also meet Korg in Thor Ragnarok and, and later... And he's one of the same. He's one of the same people. So what I want to see if, you know, when they cross paths, because I don't remember this in Thor Ragnarok, if they make any t- type of acknowledgement About to each Cronin. other, like, yeah. oh, yeah, you just like turned my cousin into pebbles. Oh, so maybe. Was, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Like, we'll, let's pay attention to that when we get to Ragnarok. That's all it is. It was a nice touch. I feel like it was a good villain to do this kind of Easter egg moment to do this kind of Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark thing too where instead of shooting the guy he just throws the hammer at him right, and right, destroys him right where you think but we're you gonna... got that set up though if you've seen oh you know, yeah if you've you seen anything movie, yeah but it, i think you know putting that big the big rock monster in there and, and people know the history i thought that was a good nice little moment nice all right so you want to talk about the selvig's board in the in the in the station or in the the asylum that he's in apparently and we'll get to that in the mcu stuff with selvig yeah so i guess there's like easter eggs yeah, the blackboard, the, yeah. the wall, the the tool of set designers dropping in Easter eggs all over. So I didn't understand this. So maybe you can clarify this. So the number 616 is a designation given to a specific Marvel universe. And this is one that started in the 60s. Yes. but And now the MCU that we're in now is 199,099. So explain that to me. So whether you're in the Marvel comics or DC comics or a lot of other comic universes, Within the world, they have different universes that where you can tell different stories. So using the Marvel as an example, the one that started in the 1960s with Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Dicko and all those guys, it has since been dubbed Earth 616. And that's essentially the Marvel Comics universe proper where things happened normally as we would generally understand them. The ultimate Marvel Universe, which is the one we we talked about and in, in influenced the Avengers movies and redid a lot of the origins for a more modern update. Instead of Peter, uh, Spider-Man, building the web shooters in the ultimate universe, he's bitten by the spider and it's organic which webbing. I like, I like that. I know you like that. It takes different approaches to the characters. It allows them to have like a fresh slate. So they're doing alternate realities. They're doing alternate okay. realities, yeah. And so in addition to, you know, the ultimates, there's ones where they go back to like Puritan times. There's all sorts of things that any concept and any idea in these alternate realities. Uh, yes. So the MCU is Earth 199,999. I don't, you know, I'm not sure where they picked that number. Fancy number. Um, how many universes are there? Have they have they built? Has Marvel really built? I know there's a number for it. I don't know it off the top okay. of my head, but it, they could just. There was a time where they they brought them all together. Mm-hmm. They wiped out past ones. Um, they've rebuilt some other ones to start a new fresh start in those universes. Right. So it's it 
really gives the writers, you know, just a chance to if to get that clean slate, if if the continuity gets a little too heavy. The biggest example of that is not in the Marvel comics, but in the DC comics, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, for those of you who watch the Arrowverse on CW, they just did the Crisis crossover. But at that time, because DC had had, you know, was born in the 30s, had went all the way up to the 80s and they had Batman with his daughter was the Huntress. Then they had Huntress who was separately. They had Superboy. They had Superman. They didn't necessarily relate as much. So they used this opportunity to bring them all together, destroy the universes, and create a new, fresh Earth. Comics have been using this type of idea constantly. And they use it as a way to just, you know, I got you. tell new stories. Now, not to get off topic, but yeah. the Huntress that's in Birds of Prey... Is that supposed to be a different... Because she's not in the movie. She's not Batman's daughter. No, she is closer to the Helena Bertinelli concept okay. in the comics. Okay. Yes, there's a version where Huntress is Batman and Catwoman's daughter. Then there's the other version in the main version and the one that most people know as the daughter of of mobsters. Okay. Parents get killed. She right, becomes right. a vigilante. She yeah, that's that's all. It okay. It's alternate realities to give people a chance to tell new is stories. Is that where the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse gets its inspiration yes. from? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. All right, that makes sense. Absolutely. That's fine. I'm just curious. Yeah. So, there's also a uh, an homage to Walter Simonson. Yes. Uh, who uh, in there on top of the board you see it says Simonson Theory of Relativity. That's just basically a shout out to the original Thor comic. The nexus of all reality is located in the Florida Everglades, where yes, dimensions is- intersect. This is my favorite one, which is guarded by Man-Thing. We already talked about Man-Thing last time. I still don't get it. Um, <laughs> tell me what the nexus of all reality is. When's the Disney Plus show on Man-Thing coming? <laughs> Oof, man. So nexus of all realities is exactly what you said. It's a gateway to other realities. It's where these realities intersect. And so you could go and travel to them, you know, as as man thing stops you or lets you man thing guards them. Yes, that's his main job. Yeah, interesting. (laughs) The crossroads, another intersection for routes to different worlds. So that's the kind of the same thing. Same thing. Just travel into infinite number of dimensions, but nobody's manning that. I don't think so. Thing there too. Um, What I like about these Easter eggs, though, is they all have a theme, and it's all about the alternate realities and getting to those different paces and traveling back and forth to these these alternate spaces. So, you know, instead of just throwing random numbers on the board, I do appreciate that they they kept this this theme Mm -hmm. that you know actually goes into Selvig's studies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I guess you have the fault. This is the last one. That's the tear of fabric of the universe attended by the Guardians of the Galaxy. Was that in the Guardians of the Galaxy? No. Then there's different versions of the Guardians in the comics, which we'll get to when we get the Guardians episode. This one was created by Black Bolt of the Inhumans. We're not going to talk about the Inhumans. All right. I don't think anybody's (laughs) going to talk about the Inhumans. Not even the creators of the television show, the Inhumans, are going to talk about the Inhumans. Yeah, he tried to turn everybody using the Terramist into Inhumans and as a result created this, this... fault in reality okay all right well that's that's it for the easter eggs there yeah i know i have something in here that i guess thor kills his grandfather in the comics at some point because they kind of allude to it when he destroys the statue of boar which was his grandfather yeah so so what so i mean it, it, let me put it let me instead of you don't have to give me the whole thing but in the comic there's more family stuff in, there the, is. in the in between all of them loki and thor and they only had two kids and they had one child thor and then Loki's their adopted child. But we also learn they have Hela. Okay, that's daughter right. in, the, in yeah. Ragnarok. Yeah. Um, but then that's it, right? Essentially, they take the mythology, the Norse mythology, 
and kind of just apply comic book principles okay. to them. So they they build out from there. So Bor is Odin's father, I believe. In there was a story a couple of years ago, almost a decade ago now. J. Michael Straczynski's run on the character which we talked about uh, last episode, but Loki did some mind magic on Bor, and as a result, caused him to kind of run amok and think monsters were around, and and he was thought he was fighting monsters when him and Thor were actually fighting each other. Thor didn't realize it either, and it, it caused um, Thor to inadvertently kill his grandfather. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about Easter eggs. This was kind of a mean one to put in, I guess. Yeah. Like, that was a big moment for the character. Yeah. In the comics, now you're just turning it into like a, a joke, a joke yeah. basically, which is my problem with future Thor movies as well, where they oh, turn a lot of the serious stuff nice. into jokes. But you mean future Thor movies mean the next one? Just <laughs> the next one. Dodgeballs to the face. <laughs> um, I think they go a little too heavy on some of the Easter eggs, especially when they don't have stories mm-hmm. to tell. Well, to that point, uh, uh, I'll, I'll skip one here, but to that point, I'll go back um, in terms of them using stuff from the comics that's more serious. So the Asgard city guards are the uh, Ein Herjar. Right? Is that right? Is that, that right? I think so. And they're, But in the comics, they're souls of glorious the of glorious dead feasting in Valhalla, but in the movie they're just the city guards. They're just the city guards. So, yeah, it's just taking a name and a con like right. not even the concept. It's just taking the name and minimizing and, it, and minimizing yeah. it. So, um, well, I'll go back to the one I skipped. So, just explain the origins of the dark elves in terms of where they come from in the comics and why that they were chosen to, to be the bad guys in the movie. If, why is I there a know. reason? I don't know. Uh, um, yeah, this. <laughs> So there's there's as as we've discussed there's nine realms in in this world. Right. Asgard is the head of, you know, they they explained last time that it's a tree. Asgard's at the head. Earth is Midgard. Jotunheim is the planet with the frost giants which we visited last time. We opened on Vanaheim, mm-hmm. which is where which sounds a lot like Anaheim. I was going to say is that where Anaheim got its name? I don't know. How's that connection up in made? I don't know. Why didn't they just go to Anaheim? Why is there no nexus of reality in Anaheim? Because <laughs> that's where the the mighty ducks are, and <laughs> underneath they bring up their their ships and their Quack. trucks and stuff. Quack! Quack! Um, shout out to the Mighty Ducks animated series. Oh, uh, I was doing the movie with that. You know, that's, that's my favorite line. You're not even a has been. You never, never was. was. This movie was never has been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we opened on Vanaheim, where Thor is is putting down a revolution and bringing peace to the world by fighting and then here we go Svartalheim. nice Svartalheim. whatever dark world <laughs> aka yeah. the the world of green screen dark backdrops yep and that's home to the dark elves we don't have to worry about the other ones <laughs> like five, four other ones we'll get to them later malekith is who's the big baddie he's the big bad guy he was introduced back in the walt simonson run uh back in the 80s you know, you, you had sent me a note on the, the burnt face. Yes. Yeah. So in the comics, his face is actually half purple. Yes. Uh, very Two-Face-esque. So when he was a child, uh, he was brought into slavery. And then eventually he was released by a sorcerer who tried to train him. And, you know, like the Sith, Malekith decided to turn against his master. Uh, didn't go well for Malekith because the master. Yeah, another thing happens us. quite often. Yeah. The wizard cast a spell on him and burnt half his face. Nice. Scarred his face purple. That's where they came with this um, this purple, this half look for him in this one. 
I, I gotta say though, the the villains. You, I mean, you mentioned before that the villains have no motivation. They also look terrible. They mm. look like appropriately, I guess, Doctor Who villains. Yeah. One of my notes is that I had like, oh, everything's just so convenient that it happens in in England. Oh, what is this Doctor Who? Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that I, was one of my notes. Well, and you have Doctor Who. Right. Yeah, playing the him. doctors playing him, but Cleston, who hated, I guess, playing this role, hated being in the makeup. So yeah. Marvel lied to him about how long it would be all that stuff. He seems to be a curmudgeon sometimes. But right. Whatever. But might not be the first because I think we got the same thing from Hugo Weaving. Yes. They may have lied about how long he was going to be in the makeup. Right. As right. the Red Skull. So right. we're seeing some patterns developing with the Marvel. Well, not uh, everybody's going to be on so board with everything. And 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 not saying who's right and who's wrong, but these movies aren't for everybody. Right. In terms of making them, yeah. putting them together and even watching them. This movie is not for anyone. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the villains look terrible, except for the big dark elf, the cursed. I want to ask about the curse yeah. because I didn't get it. I, I understand what it is. He yep. crushes some kind of gel mold and it makes him, I guess, cursed in and of itself. And then he's going to just he can be invincible all the way until the curse takes him over and he just dies. Yes. Is that in the comic? Yeah. Okay. So explain the whole thing. The dark elf in question, Algrim the Strong. He's Malchus' right-hand man there. Uh, so he is and has been one of the, the strongest dark elves. The cursed are those dark elves that are altered by the cursed stone that he uses, that he crushes up like it's pre-workout powder or something. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, Roid rage. Eventually, though, and this is where things kind of differ a bit, Algrim got transformed and infused with more power by the Beyonder, who's this ancient being of omnipotent power in the Marvel Universe. For those unfamiliar with the comics, maybe you know him from Spider-Man, the animated series, the one back from the 90s, where he appears in like the, I believe it's the last season. He's this weird looking guy in like a silver suit, but he's, that was his original design. He's had some other designs since, but he gave Algrim this greater power. So that, and then they also drew some of the inspiration for his design from that second upgraded version of him where he's got the armor, he's got the horns on his head, but yeah. And it didn't necessarily um, work like a, a massive steroid where it stopped his heart immediately. Algrim does die and that's where he gets in eventually when he gets infused by more power, but it doesn't just, essentially, I guess, have a heart attack. Right. This one, they turned him more into a suicide. But it never affected him. Like, he no. never... You never saw the effects of being cursed. He got killed. Right. But, like, even in the beginning, they were showing that the creatures that were cursed in the first fight, but you never saw what happened to him when it ran out. No. Which makes you think, like, well, who cares then? Yeah. yeah. Again, this goes to the lack of motivation for the villains. So do you think in this movie, because I don't have really much anything else. I know I have something with the pathway, but who cares? Uh, I mean, if you have anything else, please. We got the stones we got to talk about. Okay. Well, because I just. Was that what you were thinking? No, no, no. This movie just seems to just pick and choose what they want to do from. It, it seems And like how to apply it. Right. The story doesn't seem to be based on anything in particular in no. the comic. They're just using elements of the comic to write a story. Yep. And that's not a bad thing. We've you know seen it in other Marvel movies. We've seen it in. DC movies, but it's it's how you piece that stuff together. And and this one just didn't really, it feels like they're they're pushing into that cottage Easter egg industry where they know after this movie there's gonna be articles upon articles talking about the Easter eggs. They're going to be, you know, who were the city guards, little things like that. 
that it was going to just continue to drive the press mm -hmm. for this and, and drive the engagement and the, and the interest in it. So Iron Man 3, I felt, had a complete story. I love Winter Soldier, which is coming up next. That has a complete story, and it does pull a lot from certain comics uh, just that had come out around this time. But this one, it was... We need a Thor movie, right? We need a Thor yeah. movie. Get something out there. Like I said, we just need to get the Infinity Stones on the board, and Thor needs to get back to Earth. The Infinity Stones. Go ahead. Yeah. So first thing, they're stones. Right. Not this weird amorphous blob it was also yellow this one was the reality stone reality gem it was yellow so originally the colors were different than what we see in the mcu uh, so the space stone which is the tesseract which becomes the blue stone was purple the mind stone which is the one that's in loki's scepter that becomes the pinpoint in um vision's head it was blue. They changed it to yellow. So from the introduction of the stones in the 70s all the way to like a company-wide story reboot in 2017 at Marvel, they the colors didn't match. And so what you see here is them realigning the colors so they match with the movies. So if new readers come in and try to pick it up, they, they'll understand. It's like, oh, okay, I know that the red one's the reality one. I got that. I watched Thor. I understand. Um, so it's, you know, one, we're seeing that power of multimedia companies and taking advantage of it. This reality stone allows the user to kind of fulfill the wishes and alter reality, um, even if it kind of budges up against scientific principles and properties. So you could do whatever you want with it. And then when it's combined with the other gems, you can do it on a more on a larger universal scale we kind of really see the full power of it in infinity war when thanos is fighting the guardians and he uses it to cube mantis and kind of shred up drax or vice versa i forget exactly how it worked and then create that that vision of the collector's world on nowhere being destroyed and and you might be asking yourself if thanos could just alter reality why didn't he just do that instead of wiping out earth and just going find a pocket dimension to live in yeah but I don't know. Well, that's an MCU question, which maybe that leads us to this movie within the MCU. And that's since you start with the Infinity Stones, let me ask this. So this Infinity Stones, the ether. Yep. And so they give it to the collector at the end in that scene, which is directed by James Gunn. Coincidentally, the prologue is directed by Tim Miller. The prologue to the opening fight. Okay. Is Tim Miller directed that? Oh. Like, were they grooming him for, for one, of the, one of the other movies? I don't know. So the ether, I guess, forms into a stone. Is that what to believe for the yes, next or movie? Formed, yeah. I don't remember. Like when they see the gauntlet later in MCU, he already has it. Because the collector's collecting them for him. Is that what we're supposed to assume? He, he says he's collecting them for Thanos. I think he's, he's supposed to be like alerting Thanos that he has them, but he's deciding to keep them for himself. Gotcha. Um, so by the time we get through phase two, we'll see four of the six infinity stones uh the reality one is here tesseract the space stone we'll have the mind stone and then the power stone the purple one shows up in guardians and then we know there's two other ones well obviously with the mcu this is where they start with the stones yes they obviously have an idea of i mean i guess they're not thinking they're leading to the next avengers because they probably already had ultron going on yep so they are leading to the end of phase three like yeah. that's they're already setting it up now we're just setting it up 
in I don't know. Exactly. In Ultron, they that's where the Mind Stone pops up. And that's, that's where, true. you know, they, they have to. And then we don't get the fifth one, the Time Stone, until Doctor Strange. Right. And then you don't get the last one. We don't one get the last until, one until when they go to the Infinity War. Yeah. So right. yeah, I guess they are setting it up for I mean, I don't know how maybe they just knew this was the overarching plan they knew that they'd have to introduce the time one in dr strange because that's you know part of his eye of agamotto and maybe they just didn't know how because we've looked at it before where phase three is incredibly long especially compared to phases one and two or one and two each have about six movies yeah phase three has i don't know 16 17 well i think they call them part one and part two right i think they split them up i I don't know i I think we did i think when we were we're plotting this out we were going to do that so that's interesting that yeah. they started. We talked about the last episode with Iron Man three that that felt like more of the end of Phase one. Right. This feels this like feels the beginning. like more of the beginning of Phase two uh, because they're starting to introduce Phase two elements. Yeah. And again, it's to the detriment of the story, um, and maybe they just didn't care that you know because there's really nothing in with the exception of the stones, and maybe Lo- and Loki being in this. There's really no other. There's no other MCU stuff. Not really. What I was going to ask you was, we see this come back into play in Endgame, where they go back in time. We get to have Fat Thor's conversation with his mother. Uh, They kind of make a bigger deal about the ether there, because this is one of the most disappointing films in the MCU. Does that retroactive importance? No. Make it okay. Not at all. Maybe to his character, but not to that movie. Yeah. Um, Because they end up taking the ether out of her. Right, right. For the stone. And then and go put the, it back in. He's got to go put it back in her. Yeah. I mean, the whole time, I, I will get into that because there has been this, and maybe because I'm an old man, there's been this thing now in movies where they use Back to the Future to explain time travel. <laughs> like they don't, they don't have any kind of sign. You know, like Back to the Future. It's like that's what, what, that was using, an old guy stop, and a kid with plutonium. Stop using a movie to give justification to whatever science you're doing. You can. <laughs> You can use actual science. We're okay. Like that, that this thing has happened in multiple movies because yeah. they do that in um, Endgame. Right. But yeah, so regardless of that, that's a little rant I'll have later. Here's a preview, folks. <laughs> so you have the elves on Earth, and I'm going to mention it because I'm just going to mention it because I have to mention it. No shield, no well, Avengers. Hang on. Okay. Because Darcy, in all her infinite wisdom, right. said shield isn't calling me back. First of all, let's get it beyond the fact that she has shield's number. Right. But does that not do it for you? No. Not okay. At all. This is They have helicarriers. This is the movie where, you know, following up on Iron Man 3, where it feels like it's the end of Tony Stark as Iron Man, where it looks like Robert Downey Jr.'s riding off into the sunset. Because there was no response here with a global mm-hmm. invasion, of, like an invasion of London and destruction of the yeah. area. I assume that was just more signifying he was retired again that he didn't respond. Okay, but there's other there's other Avengers. I know. Where's the Where's Natasha? Where's Black Widow flying? What's she gonna down? do? Shoot her nine millimeter I, well, at the I would have spaceship. I, I mean, I, maybe they maybe they thought about doing this, but I would have liked the thing where that at the end they show up. Oh, you're all set. Everything's yeah. done. Like that would have been funny. <laughs> but no, and um, I get it. I you know why they're not in there because they're not trying to do that. But yeah. again, you've created this. But you've used Chris Evans, so that like yep, they you yep. they use used him. Chris Evans in this movie, so they could have. Funny. It is funny. They could have done that scene that yeah. you said. It's like, hey, you know, we're the non-superpowered people. We just made it here. Mm-hmm. Y'all good. 
Uh, so one of the other things I wanted to ask you. So the Dark Elves, they have those ships. Yeah. They reminded me of Klingons because they have that stealth technology. Do mm-hmm. you think that S.H.I.E.L.D. stole that when they had on the crashed one in London for their helicarriers? They don't ever say they do. They just say like, oh, well, the S.H.I.E.L.D. had it already. Okay. So the S.H.I.E.L.D. had, had it because pr- Avengers is prior oh, to this. you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they look like, I like the design because they look like a lot of the Kree ships that mm-hmm. we'll see in Guardians that I guess the, the spaceships have similar uh, these these kind of big. They all have stealth tech. Yeah, they, well, they, yeah, they all have stealth tech. One of the things I like about the movie Pacific Rim is uh, in the first one. The second one's alright. First yeah. one is they actually talk about they actually have like there's a business of mining all the what are they called again? The kaiju. The kaiju. Yeah, like people like oh everyone loves this stuff and Pete, Ron Perlman's like I, I actually like that because yeah. that makes absolute sense that somebody would it's find an economy this. right would, everything you know you're changing the economy of other things because you yeah. know you get kaiju attacks all the time but. These people in these regions are going to have to make money somehow. Absolutely, and they're just and I get that they get contracts to mine that stuff. I get that, and they kind of do that a little bit in Spider Man with Michael Keaton's character. Yes, I liked that part because that's a little bit more reality based. Well, to bring up one of the one shots that I think we talked about before, where um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's two people. They they get one of the Chitari blaster staff things and and kind of go on the run with it so there are people that are picking up this equipment and i think that was a lot of what agents of shield was initially intended to do was kind of pick up some of the pieces lady sif actually makes two appearances in agents of shield and i saw that yeah uh, i believe there's an episode that came out shortly after dark world did that had them dealing with some of the implications here and i'm assuming jamie alexander was the cheapest most affordable actress they could get (laughs) to put in that show because uh, nobody else is going to make an appearance. This is true. This is true. <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about with Shield is 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 Selvig. So Selvig saves the day pretty much. Mm-hmm. I guess he was you know messed up by Loki, and then I mean, again they do this thing again in this movie where they say they do the same thing in Iron Man three. So in Iron Man three, Robert Downey Jr. has uh, Tony Stark's having panic attacks, and then he gets scolded by a child in the car, and, and the panic attacks are over. In this movie. Um, you see Selvig's going crazy, apparently. They finally find him. They get him out of the uh, asylum or whatever it is, and he's got a bag full of drugs. And the, the intern dude is like, he's like, you ever have a being in, uh, in your head? He's like, I don't recommend it. Like, the, so, so the implication is that that's why he's just crazy. Yes. Then they have the whole thing where he sees the birds and the birds go through a portal and they come up through them. And he's like, you saw that too? I'm not crazy. And he throws all the pills away. So you didn't? I, I, what? What? One, why didn't S.H.I.E.L.D. take care of him after well, the fact? Why didn't they employ him? Why is he not with them? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. That was my, my whole question. I'm, I'm like, oh, that's right. They just, oh, they needed the Stan Lee cameo. They wanted to make a joke here about mm-hmm. mental Ill- illness, apparently. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to bring that up in a way I'm trying to be politically correct, but it's just kind of like offhand. And it yes. doesn't make it. And I'm not, you've already set him up to be somebody that needs all these drugs that he has problems. But oh, wait, no, we're just kidding. He doesn't need them. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it doesn't work. I think if he was. I think he was, he was employed by S.H.I.E.L.D. That doesn't make sense that they would just be like, go You're on your own. Yeah, go later. do your own thing. I, it makes sense that it makes more sense that if they're in London working for S.H.I.E.L.D., like they've got a contract right. with S.H.I.E.L.D. That's why they have all that money. Maybe yeah. they do and they just don't say it or we missed it. But that makes more sense than they're just off doing more scientific experiments. And it would add another moment, another touch point for us with S.H.I.E.L.D. because we know in the next movie, and again, this is hindsight, but Marvel, you know, was in the process of 
producing both this one and Winter Soldier next, it would provide another touch point for S.H.I.E.L.D. So we still think they're the good guys, you know, or, or some sort of good-ish agency. And so when we get to Winter Soldier, the turns a little bit more because what we get in Avengers and that being the last time we see them until they are revealed to be Hydra is five shadowy figures on a TV plotting to nuke New York. Yeah. If you put a moment in here where it's like Jane Foster, her interns, Selvig, they're all employed by S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. it provides a little bit more connective tissue. It makes more sense if S.H.I.E.L.D.'s like, okay, listen, we're going to give you $5 million grant. Do what you need to do. Yeah. You know, like help us out. We'll, we'll, we'll pay for what you're doing in your research. That makes more sense. And you could have a moment where somebody else finds the ether, yeah. ether. It's the ether. Ether. It's spelled with an A-E, but it's the ether. The ether. Somebody else finds the ether, then that's when S.H.I.E.L.D. and, and Jane Foster. Yeah. Always Jane Foster. Yeah. To, <laughs> I don't have one name. Has to, uh, you know, does some research and then she gets in contact with the ether. So it's still... You know, she's a scientist. Mm-hmm. We know scientists in movies touch things they're not supposed to. Correct. Make turn this into Prometheus. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, I think maybe that's that's how you fix it. Is is you Could, threw shield in there? Well, the alternative is that these people are just in London doing experiments, right? Especially because I think in Avengers, when they said, "Oh, Jane," however they said Jane's out of the picture, Shield's keeping tabs on her. Absolutely, Shield knows what she's doing and where she is. They're not going to uh, if something pops up. And Jane Foster's involved, Shield's gonna be right there. Right. With a bunch of guys in she, suits. She's already earmarked. If you're a giant corporation, you're a giant military, industrial yeah. military complex kind of thing, you're gonna hire the people. You're gonna bring the people in that you need to keep an eye on. Yeah. And make them one of you. And if not, you're gonna be always tracking them. So mm-hmm. either way, Shield was should have responded. They should have been there. Absolutely. Now, the counter argument to that is it's just the movie, it's Thor's movie. They don't need to explain everything. But I'm gonna counter that with. You have built this universe. You have built the MCU. I'm sorry, but I didn't build it. That was already these. You set up the rules. Yeah, you set these rules up. And now I'm going to I'm going to ask about where they are. And every time we do a movie where they don't show up, I'm going to be like, well, where are they? Yeah, it's, it, I didn't do this. Yeah. That's my rant. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to end this. On. I think so. <laughs> I think we I think we've said everything we need to say about Thor uh, Dark World. We will be back. In our next episode, where we will talk about Captain America, the Winter Soldier, he re- Cap returns. Thank God. I think we might be bringing on Butler. I'm not sure. Will he? Because he teased us last time that he loved. I asked him, and I think he's going to come and do it. He loved the first Avenger, but then he teased that he didn't like this one, and I'm going to have some words. That's fine. Then you know what? Then I'll make sure that he's here. So we will bring on. So we'll be joined uh, for Captain America, Winter Soldier. By my partner from Forgotten Cinema, Mike Butler. He will come on because he likes Cap a lot. And I guess he didn't like that movie. So that'll be fun to listen to him and Pat fight. As uh, as always, uh, Pat is going to give you some recommended reading. Thanks for listening and uh, take care. As always, at the end of each episode, we like to send you home with some recommended reading that follows up on some of the characters and plots presented in this week's film. Our recommended reading section is sponsored by Infinite Heroes, comics, cards, and collectibles in Watertown, Connecticut. If you're in the Connecticut or New England area, It's a great location to pick up comics from Marvel, as well as DC, Image, and more. They also have a large collection of trading cards, toys, and collectibles. Owner Paul Santos has worked in comics for years, most recently as an editor at DC Comics. Ask him for a recommendation and tell him we sent you. Let's start off with Thor Visionaries, the Walter Simonson, uh, Volume 1. We weren't able to include Simonson on our Thor 1 list. But we're happy to put him here. Uh, his run from the 80s helped elevate Thor beyond Jack Kirby's original imagination, which is quite an accomplishment. 
Uh, so he added a number of characters and concepts to the Thor mythos that are still in play today. This collection includes issue numbers 337 and 348 and pays special attention to 344 to 348 for the first introduction of Malekith, the curse, and pick up volume two if you really want to find the conclusion of Malekith's initial story in issue 349. Why they split it up like that, I don't know. For number two, it's uh, it's more recent story focused on Malekith. Check out War of the Realms, written by Jason Aaron and art by Russell Dodderman, published in 2019. Malekith has conquered the other realms and now has his sights set on Midgard, aka Earth. This company-wide spanning event features the heroes of Earth banding together to take on the Dark Elf. If you wanted more from the ancient villain in the film, this is your remedy. Plus, you get a great Avengers team alternative in The War Avengers. Finally, let's end with a little brotherly love in Thor and Loki, brotherly love. Uh, Robert Rohde's story imagines Loki finally getting everything that he's always dreamed of, the throne of Asgard, while Asad Ribic's painted style helps you highlight the more magical and Arthurian style of these characters. Uh, so you get some more insight into Loki's motivations and how he grew up to become so bitter. Um, but enjoy the reading. If you have any suggestions, drop us a line. Um, and until next time, thanks for listening.